five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher. On this week's episode of The Space Economy, my guest is Jeffrey Mamber, co-founder and CEO of NanoRacks, a leading supplier of commercial space services. In this podcast, Jeffrey and I will discuss the company's latest initiative, the Starlab Space Farming Center, and the implications to the agricultural sector. Listen in. Welcome back, Jeff, to the Space Economy podcast. Hey, it's great to be here, Mark. Thanks for having me. All right. We're going to talk today about something new. Um, this week, you announced a new venture, and it's called the Starlab Space Farming Center. Now, before we get into the specific details, including how this happened and the economics of it, can you just provide me with a general overview? Uh, sure. Um, you know, uh, thanks for reaching out. And, uh, you know, at Nanoracks, we're 11 years old now, and uh, we've become the largest commercial user of the International Space Station. We have customers in over 30 countries. We've launched over 1,000 projects to the space station, uh, deployed over 280 satellites. Uh, and uh, we do that on behalf of customers. And about a year ago, year and a half ago, I began to ask, is there a, a, a niche in, in the community that where NanoRacks can be the, you know, provide what we might call the content, where we're not a broker, where we're not an implementation partner, but where we could make a difference in a space market uh, performing for ourselves. And that's sort of the big background. Uh, I can get into how we looked around and what we chose, but, but you know, here we're taking a new step, an exciting step, where NanoRacks will be producing uh, research and content for itself. Okay. That research and content for itself is starting with the Starlab Space Farming Center. So tell me a little bit about what the Farming Center is and how the opportunity came up. So, you know, when about a year, a little over a year ago, I looked around and I said, you know, the last 10 years have been fantastic for everybody as more and more markets and programs in our industry uh, have taken on a commercial flavor. No, nothing more, uh, you know, the poster child of that is uh, launch vehicle market. What was once a 100% government dominated market now has a lot of commercial players. You have satellite deployment, satellite development, satellite integration, um, big data, earth observation. What is there a market that I believe in that has been government dominated, okay, where, where nanoracks could make a, a difference? And the more I looked, Mark, the more I thought, you know, for 30 years, the space agencies have been funding research in space as to how we could grow plants and create food in space for the space explorers of tomorrow. And I began to wonder how much has been done using the harsh environment of space to help green the deserts of Earth. And one thing led to another, and we ended up, we enjoy very good relations with the UAE. And the UAE has announced an ambitious program of a 100-year program to get to Mars. 
They've launched their first scientific payload to Mars a few months ago. We opened an office in the UAE and helped on their first commercial astronaut who went up to the space station via Roscosmos, the Russians, and we helped do the educational payloads. And I began talking and uh, Alan Herbert, uh, our, our person in Abu Dhabi began speaking with the UAE food security people and one thing led to another. And so we proposed to Abu Dhabi investment office that why not make some history and create a program, the first commercial in space research program to use the harsh environment of space to create microbes, bacteria, biomass and seeds that could be used not only to sustain the, the space explorers of tomorrow, but perhaps more importantly today to overcome the, the effects of climate change and, and be used in the deserts of the earth. And what was interesting, Mark, was I found out that although people say they're interested in this, not much research has taken place using the space environment uh, for, for uh, greater productivity on the earth. Not much has happened in Europe, not much has happened in America, not much has happened in Japan, not much has happened in Russia. Who's left, Mark? China. It turns out that the Chinese for the last uh, about 10 years have been doing uh, agricultural research on their recoverable satellites and they've been planting the results in the Gobi Desert, in their deserts, and they're getting very interesting results. And I went to a little place now infamous called Wuhan, China, and there I met with, but this was two years ago or a year and a half ago, and I had met with their researchers. So it all came together. And what Nanorax has announced is a, well, stop there. It's enough. That's enough for, to let me ask you. So, so that's how we sort of gotten involved in this program um, and why we created it. And, um, and it's a totally new marketplace, commercial marketplace for space, one that's terribly important and, and makes space part of the equation uh, and the challenge of how we overcome climate change. Okay. Lots of questions out of that. Yeah, but that's why. So, but the first thing that comes to my mind though, is food security in such a state that we need to do this? Because going to space, taking this to space is not a, an inexpensive adventure. So could you not do something like this on space? Or is it because of the actual physical environment of space that you need to do this there? There has been tantalizing research that in the harsh environment of space, you can produce microbes, bacteria, and seedlings that uh, in, the, in the sort of cocktail mix of radiation, the weightlessness, you get new products you don't get on the ground. It's this stressful environment causing genetic manipulation. And, and it's another part of a pathway. And, and, and what some American researchers, NASA researchers have shown, but more, uh, more germane, it's the Chinese researchers, is that you get a very hardy group of what are called the extreme files, extremophiles that, that, that exist in the harsh radiation, water-free uh, weightlessness of space, and they can thrive in the desert. And, and so food security is incredibly important, uh, not only in, in some developing regions of the world, 
um, certainly came home to the UAE during the pandemic, uh, how fragile their food chain is. Um, but it's also important to the United States in terms of climate migration. And we don't think about that in the space community, but a lot of problems on the United States southern border is because farms are drying up in, in Latin America. And uh, there's, a, there's hundreds of thousands of uh, families that are seeking to move north because the, their farming is no longer a living. And, and it's uh, the harsh environment of the earth is, uh, is um, a serious issue. And as one writer has said, unfortunately, every decade, the environment of earth is getting more alien and looking more like space. A bit, a bit facetious of a statement, but it's the driving force behind what this program is. All right. So since this podcast has now changed a bit and it's, it's about the space economy and so we talk about the economics of what's going on, I got to ask uh, about the business case, and, and I'll bring up one thing first, which is in the last, uh, for several years now, the DLR has funded experiments for a uh, greenhouse uh, in the Antarctic uh, that they've been using. And part of that has been for, like you say, explorers in space, going to the moon, going to Mars and so forth. But another part of that has been learning about how to grow these types of uh, food crops, certain food crops in vertical containers, right? And we're seeing that in, in the Netherlands quite a bit, right? And, and these containers, as a matter of fact, in Canada, uh, they're looking at that for the Arctic, right? Because, well, if you've ever been to the Arctic, especially the high Arctic, you can't grow things outside. Um, you need greenhouses, you need uh, indoor facilities to do this. So uh, looking at the business case, does it make more, would it make more sense for the UAE and other countries where it's getting drier, like you say, to actually invest money into these types of container types growing mechanisms? Or because there's this other opportunity that they can use their own land, uh, I suppose, without containers, maybe there's a better business case for it, to use these types of genetically or these types of organisms grown in space? A great question, and there's really two answers. The first is that the UAE is doing both. Um, they are investing heavily in ag tech companies, innovative ag tech companies. And what's, uh, in fact, the press release that announced uh, uh, our participation was entitled by land, by sea, and from and space. So they're investing in, in a variety of, uh, I think it's close to a dozen innovative ag tech. And we're really proud of Nanorax now to be included as an innovative ag tech effort. So that's answer number one. But answer number two is just as exciting for Nanorax for myself, because we see two objectives out of this effort. The first is, as I said, to develop new innovative biomass uh, that could thrive in the Earth's harshest climates. But the second is the technology, as you suggest, the technology to do orbiting greenhouses. Uh, robotic greenhouses may well play, may well have a market uh, on the earth and will have a market. I, I was struck to learn during my uh, research um, uh, in, in when I first began to think about this, that Kennedy Space Center for NASA developed um, uh, vertical greenhouses. It was NASA that developed LED lighting for agriculture. I didn't know that. We're all, you know, for, we all talk about tang and laugh it off. 
but but you know they're, they're just like with GPS and, and Google Maps where Ames played a very important role another NASA center here you have a NASA center Kennedy Space Center not known mostly for launch vehicles that helped contribute to a what's probably a trillion dollar uh, industry one critical for food sustainability. So we see what we're doing. We're going to be uh, one of the, 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 the virtues of the announcement, uh, one of the importance of the announcement with uh, the Abu Dhabi Investment Office is we are being funded to hire uh, within five years something like 20 researchers in a variety of disciplines. And this is going to be a first for a space company. And we are going to have researchers, robotics experts, autonomous, uh, software. And so we see uh, uh, innovation happening, not only in the product of the biomass, but as you say, in the innovation of a robotic, you know, unmanned uh, uh, greenhouse. All right. Now, the business case, uh, obviously, you're getting investments um, from the Abu Dhabi, um, UAE uh, government. Um, uh, you're obviously will be investing some of your own funds. Um, lay out the, the business case for me from your perspective. I understand that the, you know there's an altruist uh, mo motivation here, but there's also you don't do anything without there being at least a part of a business. Uh, uh, the business case being uh, made. So what's the business case for you? Like you know, I, in terms of you know. How much are you willing to invest in this before you, you, you can actually see a return on investment? And then I'll have some more questions. Okay, well, you know, uh, ag tech innovation is a slow moving uh, uh, business. Uh, it's, it's, it's taken off, uh, it's mature. Uh, it's a, it's a multi-multi-billion dollar industry. You now have private capital uh, looking at genetic uh, manipulation of plants, uh, as you say, vertical uh, greenhouses. There's in the you know uh, everyone is concerned with the growing population of the earth. Uh, that we make sure that all regions of the earth ha have food sustainability. When you talk about altruism, I'm extremely focused that I want to spend a large part of the rest of my career using what I've learned about space, using what NanoRacks, the access that NanoRacks has to space to try and move some needles other than being another satellite uh, deployment integrator, for example. And so we see here that it's an opportunity uh, to move into a mature marketplace one that's important, uh, and the the payback will happen over the next three to five years with a variety of new products, intellectual property, IP, patents uh, that uh, that can be used not only uh, to green the Earth's deserts and and to play a role in greater productivity of in our deserts, but also to create, as you say, the DLR is doing and others. Um, in-space greenhouses, lunar greenhouses. So Nanorax is saying, we wanna be part of two markets. One, your listeners are more familiar with, that of uh, uh, sustaining space explorers as we truly do go out to the moon and beyond. And there we wanna be part of this whole ecosystem that's developing, but as true for Nanoracks, we'll be doing it as a user, as a, as a sustainability of the explorers, and, and then also to help us here on this planet. 
Okay. Um, with regards to exactly what you're going to be doing, the specifics of it, um, looking at the, uh, some of your FAQs and, and the information that you've released, to start with, you're going to be doing um, add-ons to the Bishop Airlock, which is launching real sh you know, next, early next month, right? Uh, so, you know, what size of an add-on are we talking in here? What, what's going to be in the container? Give, me, give, us, give the audience a little sense of what it actually means that you're doing. So I'll walk you through the next steps as we see it. So starting in 2021, we're going to be hiring researchers that may up to now been working for government space agencies or universities. And we're going to say to them, you know, you're an expert in space research and botany and space biology, or maybe you're an expert in, uh, in space robotics. And you know what? You have the opportunity to be part of an entire new market. We're going to be looking at space botany and space biology from a commercial viewpoint. So starting in 2021, we're going to be hiring people both in Abhi Dhabi uh, and in Houston uh, to become part of the Star Lab uh, effort. Um, and I, I imagine that they're going to, you know, get together and say, here are some short-term projects we can do on the space station uh, with existing NanoRacks hardware. Here are some middle-term projects we'd like to do. And hey, let's design a small little greenhouse. You know, maybe maybe it's uh, 40 centimeters or something uh, long uh, to go on the Bishop airlock, uh, which also you know uh, has power and can be retrieved. It can be left on the outside of the Bishop airlock, um, or we can go on our external platform. Nanoracks enjoys a lot of privately owned hardware on the space station, and and so uh, we. We have a variety of choices uh, on the International Space Station. Out of Abu Dhabi, we're going to have more choices for in space. We can work more easily with other nations, um, given how much UAE is a sort of neutral player. It will be far easier to work with our colleagues in Russia with their, uh, with their retrievable satellite systems to do uh, a space biology and have it re retrieved. It may even be easier to work with our Chinese colleagues and now India, uh, colleagues in India. So I see the UAE as a very neutral. One of the reasons I'm excited about the UAE is like most research, it is international in nature. I mean, if, if we've seen one, we've seen several good things out of this pandemic. One is how international research is or should be. And, and so we see working out of Abu Dhabi, allowing us to have talent from all around the world. So over the next several years, we'll be doing work on the International Space Station. We'll be doing work on recoverable satellites, uh, all with the aim of developing the research, the technology, as well as leading towards maybe our own platform with as an orbital uh, orbiting greenhouse to really truly test for when we go to the moon and, and that orbital greenhouse aside from being a technology test bed would also provide the product being the seedlings or seeds that would then be brought back to earth and then seeded in the desert and see what would happen exactly. Right, just like uh, the the larger ag tech, and there's a whole bunch of we're learning about a whole bunch of entrepreneurial, uh, innovative ag tech uh, companies. 
uh, and and uh, they spend several years looking at new products. You can patent these products. You can have IP on these products. Uh, and so the difference here is we're saying one of the ways that we may be able to get to uh, harsher, harsher uh, products is through the stressful and alien environment of space. All right. So... My next question, uh, which could be the last one, depending on, on how you respond, is are you concerned at all about perception in terms of genetically modifying uh, these seedlings and then bringing them back to earth and using them to grow crops? Is, is that an issue that you've considered? You know, it is. It's it's. I appreciate you raising it because this is one of the first interviews I'm having on this. And uh, in this interview, Mark is helping me, you know, articulate things that I've thought about and, and really have to uh, think about what makes me comfortable. I'll tell you, um, creating innovation in the space environment is natural. The radiation, we think of radia radiation to me is natural. It's part of the environment that exists. And what we're talking about doing uh, through this Star Lab uh, project is exposing organisms and bacteria and biomass to a strange environment, whether it's on the edge of a volcano here on Earth, whether it's maritime, is there some ag tech looking at what you can induce with the sea environment? Um, I'm, I am fine. I am fine that, that uh, if the environment that you're in is producing innovation that helps create food sustainability, count me on the side of one that is going to look at the food sustainability. All right. That is a fair answer. Um, I think I'll leave it at that unless you have any other thoughts that I haven't uh, brought up. Yeah, given, given this is a space economy podcast, let me say, if I may, something broader on a macro level. You know, Nanorax and myself personally, I, I'm really pleased how we helped uh, play a role in the uh, creation of the commercial CubeSat deployment market. Uh, okay, before us, it was very difficult. You had to go to uh, Russia uh, and... Uh, it, the whole innovation we now see was stymied because there was not an efficient domestic United States or Western uh, way to deploy CubeSats. We played a role in that. We helped deploy the first uh, 20 or 30 satellites of Planet Labs, of GOMSpace, of Spire. Now you have Rocket Lab and Virgin and all sorts of players and SpaceX is in Nanorax is doing a ride share with SpaceX in a few weeks. And, and it's great to see that go from a government market to one that is so commercial. What we're discussing here today, I think, is a market that in five, six, seven years, commercial space research, whether it's for ag tech innovation or biopharma, will have taken off just as much as the CubeSats. You know, everybody knew of CubeSats. I mean, they were, they, you know, Bob Twiggs and others had, had uh, you know, there were classified programs and people knew of them, but you didn't have that commercial innovation, that commercial stimulation. And I, I happen to believe, and what makes me excited is that I think in three, five years, 
uh, one of the new, very robust, very exciting marketplaces for commerce, for space exploration will be in space research. And people will say, why don't we think of this 10 years ago? Well, it takes a nanorax. It takes someone to step up and say, you don't want onesies and twosies where you get one BASF or you get one Merck that steps in, mostly because they have one researcher who's excited about space. And when that researcher leaves, Merck is no longer interested. To use one example that may or may not be accurate, I'm just using one example. And what we're talking about here is a space company setting up a division funded to do commercial space research. And let's see how far this goes, but I'll wager in a year or two, we'll have lots of competitors. There'll be IP coming out. And, and we'll see that these, the strange environment of space for biopharma, for, for ag tech, for, for materials research has finally come of age. And that's what excites me. All right. Um, two last things. Okay. You're a private company. Uh, any plans to go public? We, we've looked, uh, we're not quite there. We look at the SPACs, if you're familiar with that. Everybody's excited about that. And we're not quite there. We'll be announcing a new uh, um, uh, investor in the next, uh, I hope, uh, month. Uh, we're excited about that. And uh, let's see what 2021 brings. I did a podcast a few back that talked about SPACs. Uh, it was on... Um... Uh, Chad Anderson Space Angels or Space Capital, I should say, we were talking about the economy okay. and, and that was part of our discussion. So SPOCs are definitely something that we've been talking about and that are on our radar. Uh, how many people working now with NanoRax? 70. 70 people and growing. Yeah, growing. We should have, uh, uh, from this program alone, we should uh, have uh, 20 more people in the next two, three years. All right. Thank you, Jeff. It's always fascinating to have you on here. Well, I'm sure next year, as we go into next year, we'll have you on again talking about something else that you're doing, which is fascinating. So we'll leave it at that. Well, thank you, Mark. Appreciate you reaching out on this new program. Thanks. Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Your feedback is very much appreciated. Please use our Twitter channel, at The Economy Space, to contact us or send us an email to podcast at spaceq.ca. As always, if you like what we do, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash spaceq. Talk to you next week.